This is the new Criterion. I'm James Pinero, Executive Editor. April hath put a spirit of youth in everything, so says the Bard. And if not quite the spirit of youth, April has at least put the spirit of poetry in us here at the new Criterion with the publication of our special poetry issue. David Yezzi, our poetry editor who assembles the section, joins us now. David, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, James. Yeah, I wish I had the spirit of youth in me, but it <laughs> happens very seldom uh, these days. But uh, the spirit of poetry, indeed, it's um, uh, it's a regular feature of the new criterion uh, to uh, uh, have poems in every issue, to devote an entire issue in April on various aspects of poetry. And uh, in this April, we have a long uh, poem by Joe Harrison um, on uh, Dickens, on fire, and it's nice to be able to um, devote that extra space to poetry uh, in uh, what I guess is National Poetry Month, officially, uh, so the timing is right. David, I'm always interested how you go about selecting the essays for the section. What were you looking for this year? Well, I think it's good that it be a sort of eclectic uh, section, and that often happens very naturally. Um, there are writers like William Logan uh, who have been writing on poetry uh, for the New Criterion for many years, and he um, uh, is very generous to always contribute a substantial essay uh, to the April issue. Um, I contribute when I can. Um, we have um, always uh, new books and biographies uh, coming out that um, we want to notice when possible. Uh, Paul Dean, our um, uh, Oxford correspondent, um, uh, weighs in in, uh, in this issue on uh, Shakespeare, which we're always um, happy for. So um, as long as there's a, a sort of a range of styles, of periods, um, uh, we have a, uh, an essay by the classicist uh, Christopher Childers on the poetry of uh, Alkman and the birth of the lyric poem. And um, so, you know, a range is, is good. It keeps it interesting. Well, I wonder if you could take us through what you have included, as you say, starting with the essay by our own poetry critic, William Logan, called Pounds China, Pounds Cafe. Yeah, William um, has long been um, an admirer of uh, Pound's uh, sort of versions from the Chinese. And uh, there's a new edition um, that's come out that's very good uh, with, um, you know, treating this material, organizing this material. Um, so William took the occasion to really revisit um, Pound's engagement uh, with uh, Chinese poetry, which, of course, has been very, you know, fraught. Um, it's not, um, you know, Pound didn't have Chinese, and so uh, his versions um, are at a certain remove, and, and yet what kind of comes through his versions of the Chinese is something that is kind of quintessentially uh, uh, him. Uh, and some of his best uh, poems are, um, you know, versions from, from the Chinese. And so William uh, digs into that uh, in, in, on the occasion of this new edition of those poems. Well, it is a very close reading, and I have to say, laying out this essay was probably one of our more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, I mean, I, you know, um, 
have read the new criterion and been involved in the new criterion for many uh, years. And I think this is the first time I've ever seen the format broken in this way, the kind of standard, uh, very um, elegant two column uh, format. Um, you know, William needed to consider um, uh, a poem in fairly long lines with different versions and emendations, uh, which he could then refer to. And so uh, basically we blocked out half a page so that we could present it in a way that sort of made sense. If it were reduced to a sort of a half page column, uh, it would have been impossible to follow. So yeah, he, uh, well, you know, uh, it's the, the essay was worth it. And, uh, and I think it, I think it worked out visually, um, you know, very tidily. Uh, bold changes here at New Criterion. Indeed, indeed. It's been many years coming, but finally we broke the two column uh, structure. And up next is your interview with Christian Wyman. I have to say, published interviews are a challenge to pull off well. They take more work than someone might think. But you've published several great interviews over the years here at New Criterion. What do you look for when putting them together? Oh, thanks, James. I, I you know, there are literary interviews um, uh, are, uh, you know, often um, uh, very valuable resources. You know, the Paris Review interview uh, can, um, in many cases, be, you know, one of the uh, real keys into the life and work of a particular uh, writer. And um, uh, these are not as lengthy just for considerations of space. But I think the angle that I like to focus on is really um, uh, to take sort of the artist's perspective. And so, as you know, some of the interviews that you know we've done in the New Criterion have been with painters, uh, with poets. Um, it was a wonderful... Uh, interview that um, Hilton uh, Kramer and I did with Philippe de Montebello. And, but it's really, when possible, um, I like to kind of bring out um, uh, this sort of aesthetic point of view of what choices were being made, how were the works made, uh, what were the, you know, where, what did they come out of um, uh, from the perspective of making? Um, because you know, I think that that's uh, often underrepresented biography and other things tending to take center stage. So I'm always keen to hear from the artist firsthand about, um, you know, how they uh, uh, did what they did. And what's clear is that you have a camaraderie. And so you're kind of dropping into mid-conversation almost. Well, it was really nice to talk with Chris, and I have known him for a while. We met actually years ago uh, in San Francisco, and I've continued to admire his... Uh, work and Chris, in addition to being um, uh, an exceptional poet, really a, a wonderful first-rate um, uh, poet, uh, writes very compelling uh, prose about literature, but also, interestingly, uh, sort of uniquely in this day and age, about um, questions of faith and belief in the modern era. And uh, he had written a book a few years ago called *My Bright Abyss*, which. Um, I thought was quite wonderful, sort of in the vein of uh, Simone Weil, I suppose, or um, people who are thinking deeply, but in, in a, not in a particularly orthodox way exactly, about questions of, of belief. And uh, I feel like his insights are so fresh and so um, connected to his work as an artist that 
uh, it was terrific to talk to him a little bit about that um, uh, for the for the magazine. I agree. Now, following your interview is Ex Libris, Paul Dean's essay on searching for Shakespeare's library. The piece is occasioned by a new book by Stuart Kells that is subtitled Unlocking the Greatest Mystery in Literature. But I gather from the essay, Paul will not be keeping this book in his own library. Yes, according to Paul, uh, the search continues. Uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, Paul, who um, is really so good on uh, Shakespeare and the Renaissance, of course, he has such breadth as a, as a writer. Uh, but I think he was able to really shine light on this new book that does give the reader uh, some hesitation. Just, you know, there was... Um, certain factual things don't really track in the book and uh, Paul is able to kind of point to those and it's a sort of you know besetting difficulty with anyone who is um, trying to consider uh, Shakespeare's life because so little is known about it that it quickly lapses into uh, the realm of conjecture and you know, people then um, can easily uh, go wide of the mark. And I think Paul, you know, sort of brings us back to uh, something that um, uh, feels more like um, the, you know, the, our understanding of, of the facts. And, uh, and so it's very useful that way. Next in the section is Alkman Among the Nightingales by Christopher Childers. This is an elegiac piece about Sparta's greatest poet, but it's even more than that. What can you tell us about it? Christopher Childers is a, um, a wonderful young uh, classicist who's uh, finishing up uh, quite a substantial uh, selection of um, translations of Greek and Roman poetry uh, for uh, Penguin, uh, and that should be out um, in a few years. And in looking at Alkman, um, whom he has translated, uh, he's able to point to uh, Altman's place in lyric poetry as, um, uh, and I'll just you know I'll read a little bit that um, that in Altman there's something else uh, both for the Spartans and us. This is Childers talking now. Something that W. H. Auden believed was at the heart of poetry. It records a confrontation with the sacred, uh, and uh, Chris has a. Um, vast um, uh, knowledge of, uh, of ancient um, uh, poetry, and, and, uh, but wears it with a very light touch. And so this article is really um, uh, crammed with information um, that's fascinating. Um, and, um, and he's able to show uh, why Alkman um, remains uh, of, of interest. The final essay is The Poet as Windowpane, Sunil Iyengar's piece on the poet James Wright. Now, I will first say that the style of this essay and Childress' essay is so different, it reminds me that the new criterion does not have a single-house style. We don't edit down and iron out the voices of our writers. I always think this is one reason we can attract talent to our pages. Writers want to write here. Well, speaking of right... Who was James Wright? James Wright, and I, as I suppose is appropriate for, uh, you know, a, a 20th century uh, poet, 
um, who much closer to us, uh, obviously, in terms of his life and his poems. Um, a lot of Wright uh, feels familiar. There's a kind of Midwestern landscape of uh, rivers and kind of a post-industrial world that, um, that we recognize. Uh, what I liked about um, Iyengar's uh, essay, and he's writing about a recent biography uh, by Jonathan Blunk of uh, James Wright called uh, James Wright, A Life in Poetry, quite a good biography. Uh, what Iyengar was able to draw out from the life was his uh, interesting, and I thought it was very insightful um, on his part to emphasize uh, the connection with uh, Dickens. And not only was Dickens the subject of Wright's um, uh, uh, writing as a, as a graduate student, in the way that Wright um, engages with labor and with laborers, um, uh, Iyengar suggests was another deeper uh, connection that he had uh, with the work of, of Dickens. And I thought that was very astute to point out. Um, James Wright, um, you know, remains one of, um, one of America's great uh, 20th century uh, poets. And this was a nice uh, piece that illuminated a little bit more of the life. Now, did that extend to his son, Franz Wright? Franz, um, I, you know, I, <laughs> uh, Franz is a very different kind of uh, poet. And it's, I often wonder sort of um, what that would have been uh, like if the two of them were sort of on the circuit together. They're, they're writing in, in uh, quite different registers. Um, um, Franz Wright, sadly, uh, no longer with us either. And so, um, but I think, in tr you know, James Wright's um, uh, importance in 20th century poetry was, was extensive. And I think when, certainly when I look back over poetry in the last hundred years, uh, it's the father that really resonates for me. Now, the poetry issue would not be complete without publishing new poetry. As you mentioned, this month features Dickens on Fire, a single poem by Joseph Harrison running to six magazine pages. What can you tell us about the poet and this poem? Well, first of all, I was delighted to have this uh, poem. Uh, Joe Harrison, Joseph Harrison, um, is a wonderful poet, and we've um, published his work in the past. Uh, but... Uh, I, Maybe you've heard this too, but occasionally, um, you know, the, our our editor here, Roger Kimball, bemoans the fact that um, that no one writes long poems anymore. Where are we? You know, point to uh, a proof rock. You know, and uh, uh, so when uh, we can publish a poem of some length that you know is of sufficient quality that really can kind of sustain that that length. Um, we're delighted, and this is a very, this is a wonderful poem. It's interestingly, I don't know whether this was my own sort of, um, uh, 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 sort of predilection, but it was similar in a sense to Joe's uh, last poem in the magazine, which was uh, a rumination on an historical anecdote of uh, Samuel Johnson uh, rolling down a hill. And uh, so now we have Dickens on fire and coming off of Sunil Iyengar's essay in which he's talking about James Wright and Dickens. We see Dickens uh, in all his glory hanging out with his 
theater friends, um, a family man, uh, and uh, the poem culminates with uh, climbing uh, Vesuvius, which uh, leads to um, an incident which lends the poem its uh, title. I won't uh, spoil it. The uh, whole poem is available uh, to be read on the New Criterion uh, website, and so I encourage you uh, to take a look. It's quite uh, a tour de force, a delightful uh, piece of writing. Well, I really enjoyed having this longer poem. Why don't we get more longer poems? Is it that poems don't tell stories anymore? I think that's part of it. The uh, narrative um, uh, seems to have fallen by the wayside um, for a lot of poets. Um, you know, if you look up the definition of lyric poetry in the latest edition of the Princeton Encyclopedia, which uh, defines all of the terms related to poetry. Uh, there's a little aside that says um, nowadays uh, all poetry is essentially lyric poetry. And if that is the case, which I think is probably fair to say, um, already you're looking at a shorter, more song-like uh, form. It just seems to be the preferred mode now. So um, for whatever reason, and narrative isn't the only strategy, obviously, that leads um, people uh, to uh, expand uh, a poem, but uh, it's, uh, the, the, the tendency really seems to be towards, and maybe it's um, the way that we process uh, information in the digital age, it seems to be um, to the short, uh, sharp shock. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, David, I don't know about you, but I always have a frozen moment whenever anyone asks me, what are you working on these days? Perhaps it's because I feel I should be getting back to some pending assignment, or maybe it's a sense of what? Didn't you read my latest piece? So anyway, what are you working on these oh, days? Oh, thanks, Jake. <laughs> uh, yes, I should be getting back to my desk uh, uh, to uh, finish up a biography of uh, the poet Anthony Hecht, which I've been working on for a while, but uh, which I'm um, uh, looking forward to uh, uh, to getting uh finished in the next uh, uh, year or so. And uh, working on some poems. Um, I just had a, a verse play come out, so you can imagine the commercial potential of that uh, endeavor. But um, little by little, getting some writing done. That's exciting. Well, now's the time in the Poetry Podcast when we turn our attention to the new Criterion Poetry Prize. Nicholas Friedman, the winner of the 18th annual prize, will be joining us momentarily to read from his award-winning new book, Petty Theft, now out from Criterion Books. Before we join Nicholas, what can you tell us about the prize and this winning collection? Well, the new Criterion for, uh, as you say, going on uh, nearly 20 years, has every year published an original uh, book of poems uh, selected from uh, hundreds of uh, submissions uh, every year. Uh, most recently, it's been underwritten by the generous support of Michael and Joy Millette. And um, uh, it's funny, I, I uh, knew Michael from back in my uh, acting days, and he was part of a theater company that we founded back in the day. And he's uh, long been a supporter of the arts and understood its uh, cultural value and importance. And so it's really uh, delightful um, that he has chosen to uh, support the publication of poetry uh, in these handsome editions uh, uh, year after year in the New Criterion Poetry Prize. We're really thrilled. You are listening to The New Criterion, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at newcriterion.com. I'm James Pinero, executive editor. My guest today is our poetry editor, David Yezzi. David, thank you as always 
for joining us. And don't go anywhere, because now, for our next segment, let's join the friends of the new Criterion and Nicholas Friedman for a reading from Petty Theft, the winner of the new Criterion Poetry Prize. James, thank you. In a minute, we're going to hear from uh, this year's uh, prize winner, Nicholas Friedman, reading from his book, Petty Theft. Uh, there are copies of the book available for sale, and I'm certain that Nick would be uh, more than happy to sign them for you. Uh, it's an extraordinary collection, and we feel very honored to uh, include it in the series. Um, the um, April Poetry issue has just come, up, come out, uh, and uh, it will be available online shortly, as well as in print. Uh, every year, the new Criterion, in addition to publishing um, a volume of poems, devotes uh, a, an entire issue to the consideration of poetry. And so we're grateful to the new Criterion for, um, for sponsoring uh, this creative work. Uh, so if you have a chance to look at Petty Theft, which I strongly recommend, uh, these extraordinary poems, uh, in it you'll see different characters, um, magicians, uh, circus performers, uh, street musicians, and as one clever blurbeast uh, suggested, that these all are interesting figures for the poet. Uh, but what was left unsaid was that what all of these sort of magicians of one sort or of another uh, accomplish is an engagement with an audience that delivers pleasure, that delivers kind of astonishment uh, to the point that we, for a moment, have to recalculate our world. And similarly, Nick Friedman in these poems, as a magician might, is able to enact through a falsehood, an illusion, a kind of deep truth that stays with the audience, which these poems are extremely uh, gifted at communicating to. So I'm very pleased to welcome him now to hear a few poems. Nicholas Friedman. Well, thanks so much to David for that introduction and for supporting my work for years now. And this is just sort of the culmination of that support. Thanks also, as David said, to the Millettes uh, who helped to fund this book. Uh, where's Rebecca Hecht? My guardian, my, my, my guardian angel. Um, I'd like to um, kind of casually nominate her for some kind of peace prize for dealing with so many emails that I sent her over the course of this past year. Just for dealing with poets generally. Just for dealing with poets generally. It's not just poets, it's yeah. all poets. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, really, thanks to everyone at the, the New Criterion, and thank you all for, for coming out. It's really um, a pleasure to be reading for you. It's especially nice to hold this book in my hands because, as some of you know all too well, the first shipment of 50 copies of this book was stolen from my porch. And um, some of you have heard this story, sorry, uh, but you know, I just hope that whoever stole a box of 
50 copies of Petty Theft as some sense of irony at least, <laughs> or in undying taste in poetry, but who knows. So I'll just read a few poems and then we can all return to the wine, which sounds good to me. Uh, the first is called Big Hedge. And uh, I've been living in, in California for the last few years, so um, this reflects a bit of that. Big Hedge. Atherton's aging poster child still owns a colonial with his younger wife. His terrier still sniffs along the fence. His kids have grown and gone. His gardener works at Home Depot with the other ciphers and still needs papers. Eager for all the mere invisibility that makes for good community, he lives behind a massive hedge, foursquare, like a curtain wall that keeps us here, him there. There are no seasons. Sweet gums blush, but roses bud all winter long. New CEOs hire newer workers. Houses never flood. There's barely water to fill a garden hose. God punishes, but has his reasons. And now, as almost every night, my wife and I are woken from a sleep, half watchful, half deep, when something sometime before dawn triggers the neighbor's alarm, which floods the lawn with prophylactic light. Drawing the curtains back, I find the hedge obscuring nearly two full stories. A bit of lattice strung with morning glories still pent for the night, a magnesium brightness in the eaves, and clinging to the lime, a pack of rats that rattle waxy leaves, groping for fruit, well-fed and mostly blind. This next poem is called Distracted by an Empty Cheetos Bag, and it's after a, a poem by an, another poet named James Arthur. Distracted by an Empty Cheetos Bag. On a sunny afternoon in the best year of my life, as palm trees cast stabs of shadow on honeycomb brick, I watched an empty bag of Cheetos billow with the wind and scrape past my feet. No one else saw this. And so it was all mine, a fine aluminum sail moving graceful as a theorem. It was irrefutable. My mental grocery list vanished, meaning fennel might have been what I'd meant to buy, likely as eggs or ground turkey. A Cheetos bag, a Cheetos bag. It skated off toward other trash, I guess. Instead of the store, I went home where I undressed my good suit in a pool of its own melting where it fell. I sat on the couch in just my underwear and watched the ticker tape of news till dark. But the empty bag kept skating at my feet or my mind's feet. And as the president, himself an alarming orange, dictated my fears to me, I thought about fingers still carrying that same faint glow long after the last Cheeto vanished, its little crook of mostly air digested now. Don't ask me why, but these days I can't stop eating them, letting the bright crumbs gather on my lips. And I'll read just one more, one more poem. It's called In Flight. And uh, 
I think all you need to know is that some people have a fear of flying, and I have a fear of the fear of flying, which makes the whole experience terrible. Um, in flight, we suffer the cabins choked and common air and touch half willingly for work or pleasure. Attendants trundle carts from nose to tail, dispensing Coke, V8, and blackish coffee. One with a thin gray scarf and brunette bob reaches for a cocktail napkins and a bag of peanuts when the plane quakes suddenly and dips us like a bobber. A light dings on. I count the smooth blue seats, doing the math they'll use to make a headline out of us. An infant cries out like a tiny engine. I've nearly hummed my way through every verse of Oh My Darling Clementine the second we stagger into calm. Somehow I'm eating a bag of peanuts, mouthing the ductile foil into a silver shape, shaking them out. The flight attendant's unchanged face stares down from the narrow parenthetical of her hair, saying, sir, and then, sir, until I realize she's calling me, blinking a gener generous morse across the seats. A whiskey, thank you, yes. Outside my window, 30,000 feet below our path, a river has bunched itself into omegas, blinding where the sun moves over them, while here, above all that, the body shudders and moves us along. Thanks very much. Thank you all. Again, uh, books are available just over here by the bar, so you can double fist with a cocktail and a book, a glass of wine and a book. Uh, and Nick would uh, be very pleased to sign. Thank you all for coming. Uh, and um, we'll see you this time next year, if not before.